behind the door going, yes, I made a believer in her. But this was the vision board that I made. It's in my book too. Of everything that I wanted, I have no money. $800 I started my business with. Welcome back to Young Smart Money with me, your host, Apple Crater. Today we have Maggie Cook on the show. Maggie's story is extremely, extremely moving. She went from an orphanage in Mexico City growing up with over 60 siblings. She had to hunt for her food. She has memories of going out into the woods at night and hunting for her food just to survive in this orphanage to now going to a place where she sold her company for over $250 million. So she has come an extremely long way. She's got a very interesting story that I can't wait to share with you in this episode. She drops a lot of value on you if you are looking to start your own business, to branch out, to overcome some of the many obstacles that are going to be thrown your way because she has gone through a lot, a lot both personally and on the business side of things over the last 10 plus years. So without further ado, I want you guys to sit back, plug in and enjoy this episode of Young Smart Money. Maggie, welcome to Young Smart Money. How are you doing today? Good. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. It is my pleasure. So for our listeners that aren't super familiar with what you do and what you're currently up to right now, I know I talked a little bit about it in the intro, but could you give us a quick, maybe 60 second intro as to what Maggie Cook is doing right now? Well, right now I'm a motivational speaker, leadership speaker, and I travel all over the country and the world. And I basically just share my message and share ways that I can inspire and uplift people to live better lives and do better in their businesses. Amazing. And I, I'm really, I'm really stoked about where you're at now, but then also where you came from, because it's a very um, non-traditional or, or not a place that a lot of people um, are, are coming from in, in getting to the places that you are getting to. So I'm really excited to dive into that. Um, the first thing I want to ask you about is your upbringing. So can you talk a little bit about that? Because I know your story is extremely unique and it's one that I think our listeners would, would be very interested in hearing more about. So can you tell us a little bit about where you came from growing up? What was that like for you? Yes, I was born in an orphanage in Mexico, and it's in the central mountains of Michoacan. And I have 68 brothers and sisters, believe it or not. And uh, my parents adopted 60 kids, and then there was uh, eight of us, and they all have our last names, so it was a big thing. But I grew up with 200 other kids at, at different times, and these were kids that were abused or neglected or had harder lives living on the streets and the place where they came was better, but it wasn't ideal because as you know, I mean, I've never been a parent, but I mothered so many kids. It's hard to be a parent to 200 or, you know, 60 plus kids at one time. So it, I, I just never heard of anybody having that many brothers and sisters ever. And it was quite a challenging and difficult situation because a lot of times growing up, we found ourselves that we wouldn't have food for, for weeks. We wouldn't have food. And we, I was hungry. We were hungry. And I don't know if you've, been not, if you've been hungry for two weeks, but it hurts. And you can't think, right? So I literally took matters into my own hands and I became a hunter. And this is actually my original knife that I used to hunt with. Wow. Yeah. And um, so I became a hunter. We would, my brothers and I would go into the woods and climb these trees and have these spotlights. And whenever we would hear something, we would just be very quiet and put the spotlight on it, throw nets and catch it. We would skin it, eat it, 
right there on the river and then go back. So that's kind of how I grew up. That is, that is, that's wild. That's, that's a wild experience to hear about. I know it's crazy. And you know, now that I think about it, I thought that was normal. And now that I'm here, I'm so amazing and amazed and blessed that I'm even here in the United States because this is a country of opportunity. I don't know where I would be right now if I was still there, especially in that country, because it's a lot harder to be an entrepreneur there. A hundred percent. So how did you, how did you transition from this household of, of 60 plus siblings to this place where you're at now? Like what were, what were some of the next steps? How did you move from that place to the next step in your journey? Well, I really was, I was always a dreamer and a visualizer and, I, and a goal writer, even back then as a kid. And I always dreamed of ways to how can, what can I do? What can I get better at so that I can find a way out? And I found basketball and I was actually in junior high when I saw Michael Jordan play for the first time. It was a teeny tiny black TV really long at the principal's office and I started watching and I asked if I could come and watch, you know, when I didn't have class and he let me. So I started learning some moves and stuff and I really became so good because I trained four to six hours a day after school. Wow. Third basketball court. And I got really good the moment that I decided, okay, how can I get better at dribbling, at behind the back, at everything? None of the girls could do that back then. And I had a adopted brother, and his name was Pancho. And he, we got him because he, um, we found him in a, in a dumpster. He had spinal bifida, and he couldn't walk. And so every week that we would be paired with when I was little, either an adult or an adult would be paired with a young person. So when I grew up, I was always paired with one or two or three kids to kind of mother them, take them around and stuff. Or not if you, you would get in trouble if you didn't. So that week I had Pancho. And after that week I had Pancho all the time because I would carry him and I decided to start playing games with him. And I said, Pancho, do you think it would be fun to do this with me? And that with me and all these things. So he was my eyes, but it was a way that I could use my mind without using my eyes to kind of visualize a greater picture of becoming successful. So I used a piece of cloth and I covered my eyes and I said, Pancho, when I get to the edges of the court, tell me, stop, turn, and I will do that. And so I started doing this with this blindfold, but I was going so fast and then stopping and turning when he was telling me and got so good that I I visualized multitudes of people coming towards me trying to take the ball for me so um, by the time I graduated high school we won all the games and all the championships and there happened to be the um, Mexican national team guy that one that hires recruits and from Mexico City and he recruited me to play basketball for the Mexican national team so we went to Mexico City I was so happy I was like this is my ticket out and we came back to the orphanage we waited about three months and then my dad introduced American football mm-hmm. and my brothers and I started to play and Julio, one of my brothers throws this really long pass and I catch it and I fall to the ground and I break my collarbone and I went to my dad. He was a doctor and he says, he literally, t- he was rough. He took my shoulders and stretched me out and my bone was like this. So you could kind of see it protruding oh. and he says, your dreams are over. That moment was, 
probably the most powerful moment in my life because I chose to believe that even though the circumstances and the people and what you see seems like it's done, I choose to say no. I think, I believe it, I know that there's something better. This is not it. And then from then on, I started believing that no matter what happens to you, if it's bad, there's, the reason, there's a reason why. There's always something better. So I, uh, three days later, the Mexican national team called, and I couldn't go. So my parents took a bus, I think it was four months later, to tour the United States and to get support for the orphanage. And we stopped at a picnic in West Virginia, and they invited us to eat, and I... We got there, the bus, we got there, and there was an old outside basketball court with like that concrete and old lens and stuff. And we started to play. And there happened to be the coach of the University of Charleston, and she saw me play. And she told my dad, I want her to come play on a scholarship. So that's how I came here. But wow. if I would have had that mentality of poor me, my dreams are over, and I wouldn't have gotten up and played, then I wouldn't be speaking to you here right now today. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So flashing back a little bit, where, where did that drive come from? Because throughout this entire duration, it seemed like you were very driven to, to change a situation, to find a way out, to, to get, get somewhere that wasn't where you were at. Where did that come from? Because you said at that point, that was sort of your normal. So how did you even know that there was more to reach for? And, and where was the ambition? Where was the drive behind you pushing forwards to that? Sometimes people are stuck in this place, like low-income neighborhoods that they can't see beyond that and they don't think that there's no world out there. Mm -hmm. But I chose to believe that there is, that I'm, I was going to be a treasure hunter, a discoverer, uh, a dreamer, and, and just go a little bit overboard and see what else can I see that's new that can inspire me. But the thing that, I think it was fear, the thing that inspired my drive because I was so afraid every single day. The fear was so humongous that I felt like either I could die by being, being uh, beaten or die by not, not having food. Um, I mean, there, it, was, it was the sheer fear of wanting to have a better way of life that I was looking for ways to, to come out of that. And I was willing to do anything, whatever it took. And it's really hard because as a kid, you have parents and you're stuck in a place. Well, I'm stuck in an orphanage in the mountains of Mexico, but there's nothing. I don't know anything about the world. As a matter of fact, when I first came to the, uh, the U.S., this, this was the first world that I saw. And I got to travel and see things. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know. So this was the beginning of really seeing the world and seeing the unlimited possibilities that it has to offer us. Absolutely. And it seems like that fear really drove you to, you really like centered in on basketball. Was there ever a time where you had doubts about your ability before you had that accident? Were there ever times where you had doubts in yourself or, or, or in your ability to leverage basketball into taking you out of that situation? Oh, I'm, there were, there's always doubts. But the thing is, if you want something better in life, you will you will, you're willing to do anything, you know, anything to come out of a certain situation. It's like I tell people, if you want something that you've never had, you have to be willing to do something that you've never done. Mm. And so even if it was the dreaming part to, to, I would go into the mountains. I had a cave that I dug and I would sleep in just to escape 
I have photos of it in my, it's all over my website. And so it was my escape into feeling and believing that I was this great, amazing person that I was to become. And really what I saw myself as was this hugely successful woman with long hair, but actual hair, <laughs> heels, a nice suit behind this mahogany desk with, with this really big title in front of it. And I saw myself like that as a kid, even though I wasn't there in my mind, I was there. And anytime that I could escape to be in the mountains or be doing something else, I would become a character or a dreamer or um, somebody that, or something that would free me from that space of being afraid. It was very, very hard. Definitely. A hundred percent. There were some good times, but Sometimes what you tend to remember is the things that gave you pain because you don't want those anymore, whether it was physical or emotional or any other sort of pain, pain, things that you saw. Because a lot of these kids that came in were really bad in bad shape too. Were, were any of your siblings as ambitious or, or did they have these, these big dreams to really change their lives? Or was that something that wasn't very prevalent in the environment that you were growing up in? It wasn't at all. Um, I think some of them are very successful. Some of them are not, are in really in jail or in other situations. But I really believe that what happens to you in the future, it's a determination of what you decide you want to become. Hmm. Can you say a little bit more about that? Yes. If you, If I decide today that I want to impact the whole world with what I'm doing. And I set myself sail on that and burn my ships, my other ships, and just go, burn the island and just go. Then I have no other choice but go. So you don't, you don't stick yourself, stay in that situation of the past. You look at what the future looks like and live in it, even though, you know how they say fake it till you make it? Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily fake it till you make it, but you're actually in your mind living in it. You're not really, I'm not faking it. I'm, I'm, I'm in it, you know, I'm, I'm living it. Are there ever times when that gets to be overwhelming or, or, or having this, this big vision and not really knowing what the next steps to take are? Um, what, are what are some of the struggles you deal with or what are some of the strategies you implement when you are face, when you're feeling overwhelmed by, by all that is to come and all of the things ahead of you that are, that are preventing you from getting to this place that you've envisioned in your head? I think it's all about what you focus on. So if I focus on excitement, on discovery, on the treasure hunter that I am, I know that I'll meet the people, the places, and the circumstances that bring those things closer to me. So I could sit here today and focus on how hard it is to work and try to do the things that I'm doing, or I could sit here and focus on what opportunities could come my way, what people could I meet that could help me build on that. So it's all about changing, having a switch on that mentality, and it takes you to do that, to, to have an awareness of it, and to want to really change to get to where you want to be. Absolutely. And like when you have this vision in your head of you want to be sitting behind this mahogany desk um, in in a successful place, how how do you reverse engineer that? Or how do you figure out what the steps you need to be taking are to get yourself there? Like what, what does your process look like for, okay, I have a goal. Now, how am I going to think about moving towards that goal and start executing so that you are getting yourself closer to that place? 
That's a great question. You know, when I was in America and I started working for a firm right after I came out of being homeless, I was living in the streets for like three months. And I decided, I made a decision. I said, I am going to become, literally wrote it down, the vice president or a president of an interior design firm, which was my degree. That's what I said. I decided it. Then, you know, it's not the fake it till you make it thing, but it's a thing that I call um, living, living inspired that I talk about in my book, where you, the things that you want, you actually go out there and get even if, if you can't. I couldn't get by the expensive clothes and all the things, but I decided if I'm going to become that VP or that CEO, I'm going to look like it, act like it, like it, and think like it. So I went out to TJ Maxx and Marshalls, I think it was like the cheapest place you could buy really nice clothes. And I got myself dresses and hose. I, I don't even know. I had like a bunch of holes on them because I was so itchy. I'd never worn them before. And high heels and all these things. And the next day that I decided to do that, I came into the office and everybody just went, what happened to you? And literally some people would ask me, what happened to you? I will tell you this, and I will tell you this with certainty, that when you set your mind to something that you want and you practice that in your mind, rehearse it, it's really interesting how things just begin to show up because originally it's like, it's like when you go outside today, if you decided you want to get a really, really nice car, a Lamborghini, and all you think about is the Lamborghini and you're going to focus on it. Then when you go out in the road, guess what? You're going to notice every single Lamborghini that you see because you focused on that. So literally within 28, 29 days, I was in a, uh, lunch with friends and I met the CEO of a company and he hired me to be his vice president of interior design. Wow. All up until then. I went from barely getting minimum uh, paid job to making, I think it was $45,000 a year like that. Just like that. But it's because I put myself in that place and I looked the par. I, that's how you say it, looked the par. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, acted like it. I thought that I was there. And it's the, the thing with the mind is there's some studies, research studies that say that it takes about 30 days to reprogram your subconscious mind. And it's something actually I do every morning. And if you continue to, to do that, the mind actually believes what you're telling it and it becomes believable. It becomes uh, a, a true. And it's so interesting because the same, same thing happened to me with Walmart. Because, and I talk about it in the book too, when I started my business, I, I had reached, you know, delivery to many supermarkets, but I had hit a plateau and I wanted to grow. And I said, I'm not even, even going to say which supermarket, but I wrote down the largest supermarket in the world is going to contact me. And I'm going to be going to their facilities. And I was visualizing this and I would see it every morning and I'm going to open the salsa and they're going to, I'm, I can smell it. It's like involving all your senses and your emotions into it that I would cry doing this. This is powerful. And I would imagine myself shaking the hand of the buyer and all that. And again, it happened, I think it was a little bit over 30 days. I got a call. And at that time, I had a business partner. And she was kind of sort of um, not very, uh, didn't believe in the stuff that I was doing. And the call was, hey, Maggie, is this Maggie? I said, yeah. She says, it's D. Uh, we were looking in online and we saw 10 salsa companies and 
we thought yours was the best. And we wanted to know if you wanted to sell to Walmart. Do you have any idea how hard it is to get to Walmart? People call, call, call. They called me. And I tell my business partner, hey, it's Walmart calling. They want our products. She, she's like, hang up. It's a prank. So I'm like, wait a minute. I've been doing this for over a month. And so I continued the conversation and exactly as what I visualized happened. And I had still have my vision boards. And I actually have some here. Hold on, give me a second. And I'll show it to you in a minute. But I went into work one day and went in early. And my team members in the office had arrived. When this my company had grown a lot. And my business partner came in and she said, Is Maggie in? And they're like, I don't, we don't know. And I was like, what is she going to say? So I snuck up to the door and she says, guys, I wanted to tell you something. Maggie has this thing where she puts things on the board and she does this thing, like visualizes and everything comes true. And I was behind the door going, yes, I made a believer in her. But this was the vision board that I made. It's in my book too. Of everything that I wanted, I have no money. $800 I started my business with. That's it. And these are all the things of manufacturing distribution from Mexico, big trucker trailers, which I drove, big manufacturing plant, all everything that I needed to make the products came through to me, every single thing, including the brand names, exactly as they are, came to be because I planned it and I focused on them. And I attracted the people, the places, the circumstances to bring that to me. It's really amazing how that works once you decide, make a decision right there to just focus on that and, and not letting anybody else or anything waver you because I had a lot of people in my life telling me that you should quit, you're not gonna make it. Fresh salsa, I was in West Virginia. You know, there's no Mexican people there and I couldn't sell, nobody would buy them. Go, fresh salsa, what is it? They're used to the cooked salsas, you know? Mm -hmm. And imagine being in a situation like that where everybody's and you get 90 supermarkets to tell you, no, we don't want your products because we don't, what is fresh salsa? And everybody else telling me, you're not making any money. I, I was just selling to my friends when I started by the gallon batch. Imagine the odds there. And a lot of people stop short of gold. But if you keep going, perseverance will, really pays. But you do have to make sure, you have to know and believe that you do have a product, a good product. And at that time, fresh salsa was very, very new. So the, the best thing for me was once I put it in people's mouths, that was it. Because it just spread by word of mouth. To the point that customers would call supermarkets and says, in your stores, it's so awesome. And that's really how the company grew from literally nothing to a multi-million dollar company. Amazing. So I want to dive a lot more into that business and how that was able to grow. But one question that I do have for you based on what you just said is like when you are reprogramming your brain to, to be able to visualize these, these places that you want to get to, how do you make sure that the things that you are trying to program in and, and, and the, the visions, the goals, um, the, the, the places that you set yourself that you want to get to, how do you make sure that those are things that you truly want and that they're not things that were put in there by external factors, not things that you think you should want or things that society expects you to want or, or places that people expect you to go to? How do you make sure that the things that you're working towards are actually things that are meaningful to you and you have like a system or, or, or a process to really establish like where you personally want to get to or what does that look like for you? Well, the most important thing that people forget is what 
the question that people fail to ask themselves, what makes me happy? And I really believe that in order to live a very successful life, you have to define fulfillment for you. So what is fulfillment? What fulfills you? What gives you joy? And to every single person, that answer is different because what moves you is not the same things that, that move me. So discovering what moves you, and some people have something, product services out there that, that have potential and they're so afraid of starting a business or something because they feel like, you know, they're not good enough or they're afraid that it'll fail and all these things, but there's always a preparation for that. And following your bliss, following your gut feeling, following discovering your fulfillment, that's really the beginning of carving, crafting the roadmap to get there. That's really what I understand it to be. Absolutely. And that's not always easy because a lot of times when you are straying from the traditional path, when you're doing something that's not what everyone else is doing, you're going to get pushback. You're going to get pushback from friends, from family, from strangers who don't even know you. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with the uh, negative criticisms or just the negative talk that you're getting from other people? And how do you, how do you work through that? I think it has to do with knowing that you have something and believing in yourself enough. Some people don't believe in themselves that you can do it. I'll give you an example. When I started my business, I got checked by the FDA, you know, the FDA yeah. in the uh, department of agriculture of the state of West Virginia. They came over to my kitchen. I didn't have a, my house kitchen to look at the products and approve it for distribution before I actually sold, made it in a certified kitchen and sold it to supermarkets. And they told me, the main marketing leadership person says, your products are not going to make it. You should cook it like every other salsa. You have 10, 15 day shelf life because it was fresh, fresh salsa, all natural, no preservatives. And she's like, she was scared for me. She says, you're not going to make it. But I told her, I said, nope, I'm going to stick to what I have because I know it's unique and different. Years later, I met her at a, uh, some sort of a show in West Virginia. And she says to me, remember that time when I told you to, to change it and, and cook the salsa? And she said, I'm glad you didn't hear, you didn't listen to me. And it, it's so true, you know, and the thing that I understood and I still understand today is that if there's limitations right now that perhaps set you uh, behind a little bit, you have to think that we live in this world of infinite possibilities of technology, especially now, of things that could make every single process of your business or person as a, as a person much better. And, you know, I discovered later a technology for salsa called MAP, Modified Atmosphere Packaging. And it's basically a system that inject, injects um, a, a little bit of air of nitrogen in the container before it seals it. It, redu it reduced the uh, residual oxygen uh, index by 0.001% in the containers, which means that your tomatoes are no longer oxidating and the shelf life extended to like 20 days. Then I discovered technology called HPP, hydrostatic high pressure processing. This technology is so awesome. It's no, no preservatives, no nothing. It's basically a huge tank. It's about a million dollars. You put the products in there and it pressurizes them to pressures below sea level. It kills any kind of bacteria living anything in the container. You can take an avocado, aguacate, and match it and put it in a bag, put it with nothing, put it in this machine, it'll be good for 60 days or more. Wow. So, so think about unlimited possibilities. If you're listening out there, 
you know, if you're stuck, the biggest thing for me is if you're struggling with whatever you're, it's going on in your life, if you can learn one thing is this, if something stops you, change your approach. When you change your approach, you get to try something else. Never stop changing the approach until you get where you want to be, what you want in order to succeed, to succeed in life. A hundred percent. Yeah. And if you're not, if you're not getting the desired results with the actions you're taking, you got to change those actions or nothing else is going to happen. Yes. I would do it. You know, like Edison in the light bulb, mm-hmm. same thing, same thing. Absolutely. We get that, but we have to remember to remember. Hmm. So I want to I want to dive a little bit deeper into that that business right now that you're talking about that salsa company because some of our listeners might not be super familiar with what you were talking about. So um, just to give us um, some overview, some context, can you talk a little bit about starting that company and what made you want to get into the realm of of making fresh salsa? I was in college and I started making it for friends. See, I used to make in the orphanage. We used to make huge huge pots of food mm-hmm. and it was a, a huge uh, undertaking each day. We had to do that as, as a team to support each other when we had food to feed each other. And I, it was so easy for me to make a like large amount. And I made salsa a lot and I started making it in college. And I remember my friends would be like, Oh my gosh, you know, can you make some more? And it, it, it was so popular that my teachers would ask me to <laughs> bring it to class. So I would be bringing these big containers of chips and salsa to the class and then, you know, when I graduated college, I became homeless because in the state of West Virginia, there's a thing that came out, statistic, that 95% of the people that graduated with my degree in interior design would either not find the job or have to move out of state. And I did reach out to, I think it was two or three firms in the state at that time. I don't know how many now, but, and I, I couldn't get hired. So I started living in my station wagon because I was in the dorms in college. So I started living in my station wagon until my engine blew up and so I took my bags and my things and I started just living in the forest and or on the streets and it's interesting because years later a lady uh, at a supermarket I was getting paid by Kroger she's like oh my gosh I remember you you used to be homeless look where you are now and I was like wait what I was homeless but the thing is I lived in the woods in Mexico to me it wasn't homeless you know and She's the lady that actually got, off me off, got me off the street. She's the lady that got to sit beside me when the University of Charleston inducted me into the Hall of Fame. And I invited her to honor her. Uh, she was there to, to be there because it was, I didn't realize that she, she held me out and I didn't realize the severity of it in the American terms and how that could be something of inspirational background to be able to tell people, you know, I was here. Otherwise, I probably would not spoke of it. Mm. So, so at that point you became homeless. Um, how did you then build this company? Uh, you said you started off with like $800. Where did that first $800 come from? Great question. It was probably the fourth week after I was not on the streets anymore. And I got signed up to be on a salsa contest for the state of West Virginia. And I entered it and there was probably 15 contestants and I beat everybody by unanimous vote. All the rewards came to me and then people at my table, it was like a big Mexican festival with balloons and stuff, Mexican music. And they came to me and they were like, oh my gosh, where do you sell this? Where can we buy it? And I was like, 
I've never heard that, you know? <laughs> um, what do I do? And I was like, I, I don't, I'm sorry, you know? And there was this gentleman, businessman in that suit standing, you know how when you're in a, in a situation where somebody's really looking at you and you can feel them? Mm-hmm. He was like that standing there for a little while. Once the event kind of died down, people went away. He came up to me and says, you know what? I've been looking at you and I heard what you've said and the things that, you know, your interactions. And I think that you really have a passion for this and, and I want to do something for you. He says, as long as someday you pay it for it. And he pulled out 800 bucks out of his wallet and gave me 800 bucks, 800 bucks. And because of him, I don't even know his name. I don't remember his name. I don't think, I don't remember if he told me his name, but I'm not very good with names anyway. But um, because of that, I've been able to actually help entrepreneurs start their businesses by paying it for either with um, consulting or with money, actually. So I took that $1,000 in bid day inflation or $800 in bid day inflation to like a thousand or whatever. And I have done that for several people. And after that event, I decided, okay, maybe I do have something. Let me look it up. So I did all the research and did a list of pros and cons of why it would sell, why it wouldn't sell. And I, I remember I bought a really small chopper. That, that was it. And I started making it and started the business, selling it to people for $5 a pint. And it just started to grow little by little. I would make it by the gallon batches. And I would pretend that I was a millionaire. I used to wave $1 bills like, woohoo. <laughs> and so my friend walked in on me. He's like, what are you doing? You're so weird. And I was like, I'm going to close the door next time. Lock it. <laughs> but um, that's where it really all started. I started with a few local stores that would take my product after they tried it. Then I made this long list of stores to call from the smallest to the largest and close to 90, maybe over 90 stores after call after call on the phone, they said, no, we don't want your products. What are you talking about? Who are you? Uh, what's fresh salsa? So I put the list down and I decided I'm going to give it a day. And at that time, uh, somebody told me, you're not making any money. Uh, you should start a job. Uh, you know, this is not going to take you anywhere. And then I called uh, one local manufacturer company and I asked, hey, you know, they made ready to eat products like salads, like stuff like that. And I said, hey, it's Maggie. You don't know me, but I started a salsa company and I wanted to know how you got into these supermarkets in there. And she was like, um, you know, it took us five years to, to get in and three to five or something like that. And she said, uh, they're not going to listen to you. You have nothing to show for, no reputation in the market, nothing. And I was like, okay, thanks so much for your advice, and which I wasn't really taking. <laughs> and um, came back to the office the next day, actually the following day, because I decided to give myself a break. Sometimes when something's not working, you have to step back and just let fresh air breathe in and then start over again. So I changed my approach, and I took that list and turned it upside down and at the very top now, there was the Whole, Whole Foods uh, Supermarkets, which is, in my mind, was the largest organic health retailer in the United States. And I called, I, I didn't even have a name, I just called a number and I said, hey, my name is Maria Magdalena La Cruz Garcia. I have a pico de gallo salsa that I think you guys will love. This is my number. Literally the next day, I was parked 
in my little car on the curbside in the city center. And I got a call and he says, hi, my name is Eric. Is this Maggie? I said, yes. He says, uh, Eric with Whole Foods. And I was like, and he says, we heard about you, want to know more about you, when can you come? And I said, when do you guys meet next? And he said, uh, tomorrow at 9 a.m. So 6 p.m. the night before. I'm in West Virginia, and they're in Maryland, their distribution centers. I went back to the kitchen, made salsa, packed it up, drove all night. I didn't sleep, but I really didn't care. And I arrived at their facilities. There's this huge room, new table, all guys not intimidating at all and <laughs> walked in with my heels and a bunch of salsa and chips and let them have it and they were trying it and they uh, loved it eric got up and he says we love this product when can we get it and i was like oh my god i said um how much do you need because i was thinking big and he says, well, your first order is going to be 10,000 pounds of salsa. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I was like, I literally went from 250 pounds of salsa to like 10,000 pounds. And I had to deliver it by the week you know, once the contract was signed. And I said, okay, let me go back home and get my ducks in a row, you know, like how Americans say it. <laughs> and um, I'm going to really look into this and see what I need to do. And one of the difficult things for me, the most difficult thing was back then I was going to lenders and asking for help and nobody would help me because I had nothing to show for. So I had to become very, very resourceful. I had to provide for myself, be creative and make money uh, in ways or, or get things in ways that didn't cost me hardly any money. And I have some things that I talk about in my book that are so cool. Things about creative thinking and thinking about outside the box and making things happen without costing you a penny and so I went back home and I asked Whole Foods for a contract and I said I need a contract because I have friends because banks won't loan me money that I can ask money for and I need to show them that you'll pay me so that they give me money and I can give it back so I did that I asked my friends for money I said I need 20 grand for cost of goods you know everything that goes into the product and containers and in a week literally every week Whole Foods pays me $40,000. So <laughs> it took me a whole week to make the product. And I, we counted about 60,000 tomatoes, me and another worker, a whole week. <clears throat> and within a week, we got 40 grand, gave that 20 grand plus a little. And then every week, it would just multiply, multiply, multiply. And the really cool thing is, if I would have stopped short of the gold, that would have never happened. If I would have listened to everybody else, but once I was in Whole Foods, everybody else wanted my products. So the marketing that I did was zero dollars because it was just spreading the word of mouth. Harris Teeter wanted it. Kroger's one. Publix wanted it. Every, every supermarket that you can think of it was calling me. So it was all a matter of just scaling up the business and figure out the systems and the processes and the people and how to fit all that together. And it was really like a step-by-step -step thing where today's a great day. I'm going to make a great team. You know, I'm going to inspire them. And I would always, new team members would inspire them with my story, where I came from. And I want you to be part of my story and my team. And that's really how we grew it. The things that I wish I had video because then the production area would have music and everybody would be dancing while making salsa. 
or there would be people fighting over the equipment because they wanted to do the mixer to cut the salsa next. And me and my team member that were the team leader that started with me, we would laugh because it was so funny, but they were so empowered and having so much fun. Whereas when they came in, they're like, oh, I want to work, you know, but now it was like a girl came in and I was like, Hey, I can't remember her name. Melissa. She said, uh, she was like, Oh, I don't want to work, you know, like, and I said, we're going to make a competition. See all those boxes. We're going to make boxes. It, I'm not, you're not, you're not going to beat me. I'm going to, I'm going to leave you in the dust until you beat me. And so we got up there and started making, we did like hundreds and hundreds of boxes. And guess what? Pretty soon I didn't have to be there. She was just doing that. And she grabbed another team member to do that with and another one and another one. So it's kind of like how they say attitude is contagious is very contagious. So I tell companies that if their culture sucks, it's because of leadership because everything emanates from the top, from who you are. So it's pretty interesting. So Absolutely. So awesome. <laughs> that's, that's an amazing, amazing story. And then after, after getting into Whole Foods, after being able to, to, to leverage that um, and, and reach out to all those other people, I think that's a really, really good point that you brought up that like how you flipped the list and you decided instead of going from the bottom and going from like the lowest tier people and trying to work your way up that way, you just went for the top of the top and then used that leverage in order to get all of the other people on board. Um, so what, what made you go down that course of action? What made you, I mean, you said you took a day off to just like think um, and really evaluate what you were doing, but what made you want to just go for Whole Foods and, and just skip the line? Nothing in life happens if you don't try. Some people are afraid to try, afraid of what's over the door when you open it. The thing with me, if I tried and they said no, I would still be in the same spot, uh, place. The only thing is some people, and I used to be like this, that your ego gets hurt and that's like painful and that's maybe one of the reasons why you don't go through the door, but you're still there. So if you don't try, you don't know what you're missing or the possibilities and opportunities that you can bring. So why not? Why not give it a go? Whatever your business is that you're trying to, that you're thinking about or the great idea that you have that could be benefiting millions of people, so you'd be doing a service. So it's a contribution with products and services. It's not money giving money, it's a contribution when people can utilize a great product and, and be able to make a difference with it. Mm. You're empowering yourself, empowering others. Exactly, exactly. And I, I think that's really important to, to just think about like, the, the worst case scenario is you're back where you started. That's literally the worst thing that could happen is they say no, and you're right back where you started. So going into things with that mindset, for me has been extremely beneficial in, in really just like evaluating risks and really putting myself into perspective of like, okay, what's the worst thing that could happen here is literally they say no, and I'm back to where I started and, and I haven't lost anything. You know, I was so afraid of making those calls but I made them anyway. And my plan was if this call doesn't respond, I'm going to call the next one, the next number I have in the next, in the next, in the next, until somebody answers my phone, you know? So, it, it, but I, I got so fortunate that it was the first call. It was the first call that I made and it made that impact to them too. And then the rest was history from there. Everything just grew massively. I went from a really small facility to a, 
20,000 square foot facility to something bigger and I had a fleet of trucks. I did distribution from all over the country. We were in 38 states and I had a massive uh, crew of people. It was, it was so well progressed that I could step away for three to six months and everything would be running smoothly because they cared so much. But the thing is I tell people about their culture is if you care for your team, they will care back for you. If you'll do anything for them, they'll do anything for you. You know, I had my mom that visit, visited one time to the facility, the plant, and I had a team member, just small, simple things. His name was Lenny and he says, um, I was in my office speaking with my mom. Lenny comes in, opens the door and says, can I bother you? I said, sure, come in. He said, and he patted me on the back. He says, I just want you to know that somebody threw beer bottles at the building outside and I swept them for you and threw them in the trash, okay? I said, thanks so much, Lenny. You're so awesome. And I pat him on the back too. And his voice, his passion, and my mom was like, wow, they really care about you. And I was like, that's a real family. That's a real family. Mm. Really amazed. That's, I mean, that, that's, that's huge. Mm -hmm. Going through this process and, and building up this business rather quickly, did you have any mentors or any people in, this, in, this, in the food space that you, that you looked up to, that were helping you along, that were showing you the ropes? Or were you really just going in um, kind of blindly and not really knowing like how the processes worked and what you were supposed to be doing? What did that look like for you? When I started out my salsa business, I called a bunch of people. I called the company that bought me and they want nothing to do with me. I just wanted help and talk to someone. I called several different salsa companies and nobody would talk to me. I don't know if it was because I got the wrong person or I'm just a little person or they don't know me. I don't know. I don't want to make any assumptions. But because of that experience, I decided that I was not, I was just going to discover everything for myself. And perhaps I could learn something new that other people are not teaching me that could cause mistakes. So I was, and it was so hard, but it is also a mistake because I should have never stopped searching and looking for people because you grow companies when you when you reach out and mentor and, and reach for help. And I should have done that because I think I, I know that I would have gotten a lot further and made a lot more of everything uh, success around me. And I stopped because I felt like I couldn't get helped. But it's something that I discovered later on and, and I realized how powerful that is, the mentorship. And if I, if I could grab the right person uh, to, men to mentor me, then I could, and I saw the, the, the huge change because a mentor has all that experience behind them. They have all the knowledge. They have what they could save you that you did in five years in one year or less. So I see the value definitely. And, but no, I didn't have any mentors. Mm. And, and how one of my mentors actually describes the role of having somebody like that in your life is like if you were driving, say you wanted to drive from like San Francisco to New York City, like you know roughly that you have to go east and you have to go north. But if you don't have a map, if you don't have a, a smartphone that's telling you exactly the fastest way to get there, it's going to take you a lot longer to get to your destination than if you had a map, if you had Google Maps, if you had something that was going to show you exactly the fastest route to get there. So I think that's a really valuable point that you brought up. Yes, no, no more 
redirect to the <laughs> so it's a great line it's, exactly it's absolutely hit it hit the nail on the head like they say Exactly. So when did you decide it was time to sell your business? Because clearly this was something that you were very invested into both financially, emotionally, and something that really meant a lot to you. So when did you decide that, that you were okay with letting this thing go? Well, it wasn't really a decision to let it go. I went to a food trade show in Texas and my booth was right across from the booth of the company that I had called many years ago for help. And the owner came up to me and he says, what do we have here? He, you know, big company and uh, Jack Aronson with Garden Fresh and Annette Aronson, beautiful, amazing people, such philanthropists and they've helped so many people also. And I said, fresh salsa, you want to try? And you know, this is the thing is like, no, this is my space here. No, I'm like, here, come over. I'll give you all my secrets if you give me yours. <laughs> That's how I was. People couldn't believe how I made friends with my competitors, including my cheese dip competitors. That's friends. But it's because I believe it in the giving part and the growing part. And he came over and he said, oh, this is so awesome. He says, you know what? You remind me so much of my wife. And I was like, oh, is that so? I think we looked like we had both had short hair. And I said, I'd love to meet her. And then from then on, we started talking. And then the opportunity came. I think it was maybe less than a year. I can't remember. And that's when they decided to, to buy it out. And we actually moved all the production, everything from West Virginia to Michigan. We loaded up some semis and moved the whole operations up there. Um, and that's, that's really where I think it was, um, it was a great exit strategy for me because I was really ready to do something like this, what I'm doing with you. I was really to, uh, ready to go in the path of life that I felt like I could really truly excel in making a difference in people's life, not just by giving somebody a product to taste and say, wow, this is amazing, but by this kind of knowledge sort of product that you can make a difference with that I've learned with, through my experiences. Absolutely. And you've done, you've done things like public speaking now as well. Was that something that you ever envisioned yourself doing like when you were growing up and you had this vision of like where you would be is public speaking something that you've always been interested in or did that really develop more recently this is so funny that you asked this because if you go online maggiecook.com with one g and you see my speaking videos and even speaking now i look totally awesome right but i'm such an introvert i'm like very like it's so hard for me to speak and get in front of people people ask me oh you did amazing on stage oh my god this is the best presentation ever but I'm like, really? Because I'm nervous as heck, you know, <laughs> like butterflies. But I do it uh, because I know that the value that I'm giving and the inspiration and the results that I'm giving on a particular audience, because every, every audience that I speak to is different. And I know that I'm making a difference by delivering the, the content that they need. So I focus on that aspect. And then when I'm done, I'm like, oh, let's go back to the bathroom, you know, and cuddle in the bed at the hotel <laughs> but it, it's been very hard um, I was never in the orphanage I was never like that I was more of a and I've always been an introvert kind of like uh, the quiet but when I set myself to do things like play basketball I was like in the zone focused 
before my games, I would visualize making the, the shots and making all these things. So I was in the zone once I hit the court. It was like a, a different world for me. Mm. And that's, I mean, that's what it's all about is just having that impact on people and really being able to see the, the change that you're able to have on somebody's life and really the effect that you're able to have on their situation on where they're at. Yes, absolutely. And I love it. Absolutely mm. love it. All right, Maggie, I have some questions that I'd like to ask all of my guests before we wrap up the show. Are you feeling ready for them? Absolutely. Awesome. So the first of which is what are you excited about right now? Clearly, you're doing a lot of different things. Um, you've got a lot of exciting projects that you're working on. But like, What are maybe one or two things that you're really excited about right now? Well, I just got invited to speak at, the film fest- at, film, uh, at a film festival. It's called Freeway, Film Freeway in Las Vegas. Hmm. And uh, we're looking at, they're looking at making my story a movie. Wow. That's what I'm excited about. That's huge. That's, that's really exciting. Yes. Wow. All right. All right. (laughs) (laughs) What, what habits do you have that have served you particularly well in your life? These could be in your business, in your lifestyle. Like what are things that you do on a routine basis that help you get to that next level? I have many habits. And it all starts with me when I, the moment I wake up, the moment I go to bed and the moment I wake up. And why? Because I know that research says that right before you go to bed, if you program your subconscious mind, it, it's kind of like a marinade for your brain and it prepares you. Same when you wake up, your subconscious mind is more apt to receiving information and sticking to it. I have many, many things that I do, but I'm gonna do a quick run through. It has changed for me through the years because I like change in the way that if I feel like I'm doing the same thing, I don't know if I feel like I'm growing a lot. So first thing I wake up is I open my eyes and I'm sitting, literally sitting there thinking about what are the things that I'm grateful for. And I always look for like the smallest because even the smallest things count. If you're not grateful for the small things, you don't get to appreciate those. So the first one is like the smallest, like I could feel the sheet behind my, my back and be like, oh yeah, I'm grateful for that sheet, you know? And then two big ones. And the moment that happens, I get up, I jump into a vibration plate that I have. It's basically, you get 15 minutes where a workout where's, uh, it's basically, if you did an hour workout, you can do it in 15 minutes just by jumping in. It was invented by the um, Russian astronauts for when they went to the space to increase more, uh, bone density and muscle density. So I jump in that for about 15 minutes. I turn on the infrared sauna at 140 degrees for 40 uh, minutes, jump in there. After that, I jump in a cold, cold ice plunge. And then I shower, oh, that wakes me up. That is the, mo- the best thing because it's so good. There's so many benef- health benefits for it. And these, these are just some of the things that I do there's other things like I was mentioning to you earlier that I have this timer that I have on my phone for every hour. It beeps really loud so I can't miss it and I stop and I go to my machine or if I'm traveling, I do jumping jets or something. People probably look at me where at the airport, but <laughs> I do them anyway. And uh, I love it because it, you just kind of pump and you breathe and pump life into your, li- uh, into your body. And, uh, but yeah, these are the things. Uh, part of the morning ritual is uh, while I'm in the machine or in the sauna, I listen to content like this, inspirational stuff, um, because I don't want to waste time. I just want to keep going. And when I am done with the shower, with the ice plunge, I do my regular daily 
visualization and goals and, and all that. Wow. I'm probably missing some things, but I just go, go, go. It's automatic. If you don't question yourself and just do it like jumping in ice baths, then you, you're okay. You're, you're going to do it and that's it. Like, go in there now. No questions <laughs> asked. You're going to scream at first. <laughs> Absolutely. It's all about getting those systems in place. And it seems like you've definitely got some very solid systems for your morning routine. Mm-hmm. Um, what content, if any, are you consuming right now? You said in the mornings you like to listen to inspirational content. Um, I'm assuming that's podcasts, but like any podcasts, YouTube videos, um, books that you're reading, like what kind of content are you consuming? Best content that I love is through podcasts or YouTube and content like, content like yours. Um, there's other people that I listen to like Alex Berman and Benji Bruce. Um, anything inspirational, anything that I can learn. I especially love things that help me grow my business where I'm at right now. So if I can find videos or podcasts in relation to the things that I'm working on to grow my business, I'm, I'm just devouring those, just taking it in, writing notes, uh, taking it in, implementing immediately. Because if I, if you don't implement immediately, then all the content that you, it's like you just threw everything away. So the, the biggest thing is implementing, just jump in and do it like, like that ice sponge. Absolutely. Uh, personally, I've been taking cold showers for the last, like, I don't know, probably a couple months now. And it's all about just like hopping into it, like cutting that flinch. Don't, don't waste any time. You just got to hop right in because if you wait, it's just going to get worse. That's so awesome. Not a lot of people do that, but it, it, you feel better. Do you feel better? Oh, absolutely. It's, it's a great way to wake up, especially after a workout. Like you just hop in there really just like wakes up your entire body and you're just like, wow, I'm like ready to take on this day. Awesome. <laughs> and most people think I'm crazy. Like I tell, I tell other people about it and they're like, I would never take a cold shower, but I'm like, try it. Just try it one time. Just try it one time. You know why it feels so good? I've, no. studied, I've studied this because I love the process of it and what it does. For my, I want to know what I'm doing is doing for my body. Sure. So in this part of your head, um, you know, we have cells and then you have mitochondria. Mm-hmm. There's 3 trillion in your head, in this part of your body. There's more, way more than cells. And what they do, mitochondria, they're in charge of producing um, infrared in the body that converts it into energy for the cells. So when you jump in a cold shower, it activates uh, mitochondria to produce infrared. That's why you feel so good. And it reduces inflammation and all that kind of stuff. Really? Yeah. I had no idea. I was just like, this is something that like really wakes me up. But I guess there's, there's science behind it as well. So awesome. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Maggie, where can our listeners go if they want to find out more about you and what you're up to? Um, feel free to direct them to your book, to your website, wherever would be most valuable for them to connect with you at. Yes. Yeah, so I actually have a consulting. I'm a speaker. I speak all over the country, motivational leadership, uh, sales. I have workshops. I have a book, products, and I'm working on a podcast called True Life Heroes, so interviewing people that are, to me, true life heroes that make a difference in changing the world. Uh, and you can go to maggiecook.com. That's Maggie with one G, uh, maggiecook.com. And Maggie Cook also on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, and all those places. Amazing. And I'll be sure to link all of those up in the show notes below this episode. Maggie, do you have any last parting thoughts, any words of wisdom for our listeners today that you want to leave us with? I just, you know, stick to what you want to do and do it. Mm. And if people tell you you can't do it, evaluate that and say, you know, if this is an opportunity and I can do it. I can make a difference for my life, my family, the lives of perhaps millions of, uh, millions of people. If that's what you want, 
the thing is nothing stops you but you and part of that is if you choose to hear what surrounds you so choose wisely absolutely maggie thank you so much for your time i really do appreciate it you provided a lot of value here on the episode and i'm sure our listeners got a ton out of it thank you very much i really appreciate it thank you so much have a great day thank you for having me on your show absolutely All right, well, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Young Smart Money. Again, if you guys did enjoy the show, do remember to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It really does help us get in front of more people with the show. It helps you hear from even more amazing guests. It just makes the world go round when you do smash that five-star in iTunes iTunes. And if you guys want me to shout you out in my Instagram story, I am always up for that. So if you send a screenshot of your review to Apple Crater Official on Instagram, shoot me a DM of that or just tag me in it. Would love to repost it on my short story and give y'all a shout out there. Otherwise, I hope you guys do have a wonderful day, whether you're out walking the dog, whether you are at the gym, whatever you are up to on this fine day. I hope it is a splendid one and I will see you in the next episode. Have a wonderful day. Real quick, just launched a new project called the Online Course Examiner, basically the Yelp of online courses. It is blowing up lately, onlinecourseexaminer.com. Check it out.